Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you, Rob? I'm feeling like a champion. And yeah, I don't mean champion in the kind of noun sense of the word. I mean it more in like the kind of verb sense of the word, as in like I helped champion others, mainly artists, and Mm -hmm. as do you. And it got me thinking about art criticism and the idea that even if you are being constructively critical or even just plain critical, I think most great art critics come from a place of compassion and wanting to sort of champion art for the greater good and also mm-hmm. to support artists and be on that journey with those artists. And the guest that we are going to meet today is not only one of the world's leading art critic, if not the leading art critic, along mm-hmm. with his wife, of course, Roberta, because mm-hmm. she's also equally genius. But mm-hmm. um, he's been the senior art critic for a long time at the New York magazine. And I got to know a lot of his writing through Vulture, which is a section of the New York magazine online. But I particularly noticed that he was championing women artists and a lot of artists that I loved. And I felt like he was really sort of going out on a limb to really fight their corner, particularly people like Catherine Bernhardt, who's been a guest on the show before and many other artists. But I just loved that about him and um his latest book how to be an artist is a kind of guide and i recommend every single person listening to this podcast right now buy this book because a it's really easy to read and it's just really accessible but it's also incredibly like deep and meaningful which you know i love so um, (laughs) i do so i would like to welcome (laughs) to talk art jerry salts Hello, 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 uh, ladies and gentlemen and ships at sea. And that was just beautiful. You made my morning of sheltering in place two hours north of New York City. Um, Just beautiful for a few minutes. Thank you. So we find you upstate of New York and what sort of state are you upstate how how will we find in you jerry what's the what's the mindset in the current climate like everyone i find myself in a place well since i'm an art critic and i write about this i can't help but think that i'm in a place that we've been in for 75,000 years together that uh art and creativity were with us in the caves, I think, that it's 
creativity is in every bone in our bodies. Art has never not been with us. A lot of other things come and go. Plumbing came and then it went for about 2,000 years. (laughs) Um, Stone houses came and then they disappeared from the West for 2,000 years. But art never left. And I'm thinking about Darwin, who never said and spent the last part of his life trying to clarify this. He never said that it was survival of the fittest or the strongest. Mm-hmm. That was a very kind of a Victorian male read of it. What he was trying to say is it's survival of those most able to adapt. And mm-hmm. all of us, as the angel of death walks among us, mm-hmm. uh, are adapting in real time. And it turns out, see, I'm a blabbermouth. You can tell I've been alone too much up here. That it turns out that art and creativity in all of its forms thrives under exactly the conditions we are all in. That's what I meant by I'm thinking about that, that it thrives under pressure. Mm -hmm. And we are all under a lot of pressure added with uncertainty. So that's two things. Three, it thrives in smaller spaces, and that has happened to virtually everyone. Mm -hmm. And finally, it thrives in intimate settings. So right now, people are finding themselves writing that little song, writing, you know, uh, doing that stupid dance, writing their idiotic criticism. And next to them, there might be kids, like uh, playing video games or making a mess. Uh, Somebody's cooking right over there. Nana is in the background doing the laundry. The dog is like uh, running around and making mayhem. And of course, this is how about 99% of all the things ever made by us These are the conditions they were made, where the studio, the home, the kitchen, the office, the temple, all of these were the same room. And that's how I find myself, like all of this is going on at once, and yet something really deep in my DNA is uh, the, the keys are being tinkled, and I'm aware of that. So it's this othering that I'm experiencing that I, I must have been built for. So, mm-hmm. so that, is there an excitement in you then for, for is there an excitement what? in your is there an excitement in you now then for the outcome of, of this pandemic when we get to the other side, the way that artists well, are adapting and going back to basics, it seems. Well, it isn't excitement, but it is a recognition of something. And I think what I'm beginning to glean is, you have to understand, I'm 69 years old. I come from a bygone world, a former world. I witnessed an underground. I, when I was a long-distance truck driver, 
until I was 40, and we can get into that. Mm -hmm. I used to call the most famous gallerists in the world to deliver to them. I would call Marion Goodman or whoever, even whoever, doesn't matter, and they would pick up the phone. And I would schedule it with them. And when I came in, they would say, hey, let's have coffee and cigarettes and talk about art. Mm. I come from a world where I saw pure art history, having coffee in a diner, John Cage. I come from a world where I saw the sum of all things, John and Yoko strolling down Madison Avenue, arm in arm, as like the crowd parted in awe. Now, that art world disappeared and was built and transformed and mutated into the gigantic, super-efficient, hyper-active, obscenely moneyed, our world that we all know today. Now, none of that is said in the negative. It is simply a statement of the conditions on the ground. Mm -hmm. And what I understand now is that, and which is what I've always understood, is art was never efficient. Art is eccentric. It's never professional even when it is. It's actually made by idiots like you and me, smelly shamans mm, that live on the minute. edge of the village mm -hmm. that are wearing sweatpants and mm -hmm. desperate that somebody will buy their stupid trinket that they pretend will cure or they actually think will cure the world. That the art world is not a safe place at all. It's based in risk. And so what I look forward to, in my eyes, that would be in around 2022. I'm one of those people that thinks this is going to be going around the world, making yep. a few trips around yep. the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But in 2022, 23, 24, what I see is every person listening to this is tasked with something that I got to do. You will be able to build a new art world for this one will be gone. It will be gone. It cannot survive that. You, you mean like the smaller galleries? You mean like the, 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 the money side of it, the kind of demographic of everything? That's is gone. Is that what you're saying? Do you think it's that's just dying. already now, gone already? It's already dying. This is something that's been coming a long, long time, and now it is here. I do not wish it to die. It was beautiful, even at its most obscene. It allowed all of us to be together, to yell at each other, to have sex with, break up with, then become best friends with each other the next morning. I don't wish anything bad on anyone. But I will say that all of that, if this is long, cannot survive, and it won't. And what it leaves everyone else with 
is something that, uh, like I said, I get, I, I did, I built this city with, <laughs> you know, five million other people. I didn't uh-huh. build it myself, but I built this city and it was beautiful and it changed the world for the better. And then it got bad and bloated. And our answer to every problem was, well, make it bigger, <laughs> which uh-huh. worked for people. It, it may not have worked for any one person. When you say make things bigger, are you, are you talking about like the fact that we have one art fair and then suddenly there's 10 art fairs and suddenly there's 100 yeah. art fairs and a gallery's yeah. got a small <laughs> space and they go... So, so what you're saying... So if you're Nostradamus this now and you're saying that that's yeah. kind of... That, that world is over now, what, is, what do you think is the next to profit ahead? What is the next stage then of the the art world what 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 when it comes to the you know the the business side of it i guess and stuff is like i that's what we're talking about i see the art world doing what it always does always always did which is some stupid people like you or me or the the losers like me listening to this (laughs) get staying up late (laughs) every single night together, fabricating, formulating new dialects to make work in, finding a way to make art out of what is at hand, for that is exactly what's going on in people's studios, offices, uh, uh, desks today. You can only work with what is at hand. And my guess is you, everybody listening to this, will build a new art world. Will it be as big? I don't know, because Mm -hmm. there will be about 10 billion people on Earth by mid-century. And I really don't know. I'm sad to say I won't be here to see what you build, but I have no doubt in my mind that it will surpass everything that's ever been before. Um, wow. It's going to be beautiful. I have no Great. doubt. Look, one last well, you, thing. You're terrifying, and then actually that's quite a nice <laughs> nice outcome, but it's, well, it's quite doom-impending. Yeah. Well, honestly, think about it. Adorno famously said, there can be no poetry after Auschwitz. Well, duh. Mm. The very sentence is poetic. The way he spoke it was poetic. Poetry does not die. In fact, poetry, art, music was made in the camps. It's being made now. The things that we do now in this terrible, terrible pause we are modeling for ourselves to take forward into mm-hmm. time for our children, mm-hmm. for one another. And so that's why it's great to just be talking to each other. Yes, definitely. And I was just thinking, so if, you know, we, you, me, Russell, like we won't all be here forever, like you were saying, but something that hopefully will stay on after we've left this planet is actually the book that you've just written. And I know that Grayson Perry described it as as being um, something that he would have 
uh, carried around almost like a Bible because he thought it was that great, your, your new book. And I just want to explain to people uh, what this book is. So basically, you've written 63 rules, um, which are kind of all on the theme of how to be an artist. And to me, it's such a gift, this book. It's, I think I can't believe, you know, it hasn't been there before because it feels so timeless in reading it. It's so kind of simple in a way but 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 so profound at the same time so how, what what sort of led you to write this book how to be an artist right i think of the book how to be an artist as a little hymnal a note a long note to my former self i began as an artist like a lot of people listening to this However, and I sold my work, I showed my work, I was written about in the sexy art magazines, I was wow. in art forum. What was your work I like? It was, I was illustrating Dante's Divine Comedy. And uh, I never read a book in my life except this one book, and I would read it, start it over, and read it again, over and over and over. I just had found my book. Um, uh -huh. Thank God it wasn't, well, anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, and I was doing this, but of course, like everyone listening to this, demons that lived in my mouth would speak to me and say the same things they say to you, to everyone. You don't know what you're doing. You're a loser. You don't have the proper education. You have a bad neck. You didn't go to school. You didn't go to the right school. You don't have enough money. You don't know how to do anything. You can't even draw. Of course, I listened to those voices for 10 years, and when I was 30, I gave in, and I stopped making art. I self-exiled in a horrific long period of 10 years and became a long distance truck driver. Uh, my CB, my radio handle, what shortwave radio handle was the Jewish cowboy. And I would get on and go, Shalom partner. And no one ever spoke to me. I had no interaction at all for 10 wow. years. Oh my God. Um, what was you delivering in your truck? Had, what? What was oh, you delivering was, in your truck? It was, I mean, like I said, I'm Jewish, so it was art. And right. I was horrible at it. I was so filled with hate and envy and jealousy for everyone in the art world. And of course, I was mm -hmm. like, uh, had a superiority complex. How come the world doesn't see my genius? You know, classic white, suburban, uh, male bullshit. And I was it, but didn't know it. I finally, after 10 years, decided anything can be better than this. I cannot go on. The real world is so hard. And again, I never went to school. I have no degrees. I barely can read. Um, so I decided to become an art critic. Now, this was the stupidest thing I could have ever 
chosen because as anyone that's ever written a word knows, it's, it's the worst art in the world. It's <laughs> horrific. You can't listen to music. You can't talk shop talk. It's, so I started writing. I trained myself to be an art critic by reading uh, the glossy sort of school newspaper of the time. It's now the late 1980s. And so I'm reading Art Forum. Mm-hmm. Of course, what I, when I read it, I did not understand a single syllable. And I tried to write like that. So this is what the sentences in Art Forum sounded like. They sounded like uh, the late commodified capitalist post-Marxist simulacra finds itself interrogating a dialectic between nature, culture, and the ulterior uh, body. And I would go, what the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> We've all been there, thought, seriously, Jerry. Still, what? still. My God, I mean, still, still there. That's I partly mean, still why we're doing stuff, this podcast. Like, <laughs> See, this is... You're my people. I love I this podcast. <laughs> well, yes. actually, the, the first um, line in your book, in the introduction, um, says, art is for anyone. And when I read that, yeah. I was like, this guy's so on our page. Because like, our, yes. our slogan is, um, art, art is art for, for everyone. Art for everyone. So, yes. you know, it's very similar. <laughs> I would say art is for anyone. It's just not for everyone. Because I meet all sorts of people that go, eh, it's not for me. And I get it. I, 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 so I, I learned to write that way. And one day, long story short, deadlines are sent from he- heaven via hell. And one day on a deadline, after procrastinating my ass, I left no time. And I suddenly had to finish something, and I wrote what I really thought in my own voice. Now, this meant two gigantic things. One is I also shared what I did not like. As anyone who reads art publications knows, that in magazines especially, but almost everywhere, everybody loves everything. Yeah. I mean, it's like cheerleading, or they describe it, which is like boring, or they write in that gobbledygook Mandarin language that's written by 55 people for 155 people that all go to the same parties and the same art fairs and get to go on each other's panels and then they review each other's shows. And I get jealous. But in that moment... I wrote what I liked, what I didn't, and I wrote it in my own voice, and I remember thinking, I'm free. I haven't begun. I've just written my first thing, and now I'm free. And that's what I did, and this is a note to my former self that I wish I would have known then what I know now. And it's based on everything I've ever learned from every artist and every work of art that I've ever liked, hated, Mm. looked at. And that's what How to Be an Artist is. It will not 
help anyone make money. If you know how to make money and become a rich and famous artist, please send me that book. <laughs> but uh, this book is to have help you get in touch with your creative side and maybe have a life like I've been blessed with having lived in art. Wow. Well, you're in the New York Times bestseller at the minute, so congratulations. Hey, and you're in, thanks. You're welcome. And you're in an independent bookshop uh, bestseller list, which I've seen on your, your Twitter you're incredibly proud of. Yeah. Yeah, because they're all dying. There's not oh. one bookstore in my country that's open, and 90% of them will never open again. 90% of restaurants will never open. Um, we're going back to a time that many of you say you really like. So welcome back to about 1991 is where you're going. Oh. Hey, by the way, Great Britain was ruling the world then. I don't I know, mean imperial <laughs> world. I mean the yeah, cultural world. Totally. You and guys actually, led the there's way. A, there's a, a WhatsApp group with galleries um, who, all kinds of galleries, from the smallest gallery to the biggest gallery um, in yeah, London that Sadie Coles helped oh. set up this group to like yeah. help each other with the practicalities of what's going on at the moment, You know, whether it be to do with tax or whatever. But um, one of the comments that one of the bigger galleries made was like, everyone has to remember that this is going to be like the early 90s and that was one of the best times creatively in art for British art. Yeah. So mm. we need to sort of hold on to that hope. But also that's yeah, also well, a reason I, I wanted to talk to you, Jerry, because I find your book as well, there's an openness and a kind of generosity in it that I think will, like you say, inspire people to be creative and to allow their own creativity to flow. So, you know, I think it is quite an interesting time we're heading into. Thank you. I do too. And I want to remind people that 99.9% uh, .9 of all artists they don't make much money. They make yeah. no money. And yet we just left an art world obsessed with the 0.111% of artists who make money. Yeah. I don't care that you hate Damien Hurst and Jeff Koons and whoever else. That's bullshit to me. All of them once made great art. Yeah, because totally. they did that, I hate to tell you this, It'll horrify most of your listeners. They could easily do it again. You have to understand that the very artists that a lot of you hate from the 1990s, the YBA, Tracy and Damien, they built the Tate. Now, you may hate the Tate, too, for, for all I care. But, you know, once upon a time, we were, you know, we were all the same. And then right. money changes things and it starts over. Just to add to that, I was thinking about at the minute the lockdown for a lot of artists. And I'm thinking of like, you're talking about the, the, the moneyed ones, but the, the emerging artists that have all the attention on them at the moment, they're having to navigate a world where they have got everyone wanting to buy their work and uh, everyone looking at what they're doing next. This period now, I think, is going to be so great for so many of them artists because it's forcing them to slow down and sort of take a, take a step back so they have time to process the world they're in and go back to kind of their roots again and and not have any pressure on them. I think it's in some ways it feels like a positive thing for that sort of section of the art world. That's brilliant, Russell, honestly, because, look, 
brand new baby artists. I love that they can sell their money. I want all artists to make money, the good, Mm -hmm. the bad, and the very bad. That's no problem for me. But really, should a baby artist be getting 50,000 euros for a work of art? I mean, that got a little silly, and I'm happy for everybody that made the money. And the dollar, as it were, has been devalued. Although I have to remind our listeners that just yesterday, the cruise ship industry announced that they have more bookings for one year from now than they had one year ago. Why would that be? Why would that? Because, (laughs) because I don't know why, because I, I do know why. Are you ready? Yeah. Because after the 1918 and 19 pandemic, the Spanish flu, you're talking it about was, the yellow fever. It was followed by the roaring 20s. Yeah. That death period became a hole. After, two, after 2001, 9-11 in, in America, and mm. the financial craze, the world only became more of what it already was. You had the Bush-Cheney war machine, and then immediately after the financial collapse... You had the most, the uh, longest run of the most moneyed art world that ever existed on Earth. It's just a human trait. We do not know. No one can pro- 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 uh, guess what's going to happen on yeah. the other side. Yeah, of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe people are dreaming of escape, which is why they're booking cruises, because <laughs> it's like some <laughs> kind of romantic idea of going to sea, isn't it? Um, I guess going to sea is a big dream. Yeah. It's the most brave thing I think our species ever, ever, ever did. You know, that must've been scary, man. Maybe there'll be loads of great art on these cruise ships. Who knows? There never is. I've never seen. I've never seen good art on a ferry. Never. (laughs) That could be the future though. This we're rewriting the rules. (laughs) Let's get back to you then, Jerry. So you are, um, an art critic. You are a senior art critic for the New York Magazine, which uh, right. since 2006, which was formerly the Village Voice, when mm-hmm. which is basically the epicenter of the kind of American art world, uh, when that all kicked off. And you won the Pulitzer Prize for criticism in 2018. So what does Jerry Saltz look for in art? What is it that you look for out there and feel like it's Right. I guess a couple of things. I'm looking for what everyone is always looking for. My wife, art critic Roberta Smith, says a brilliant thing. Pleasure is an important form of knowledge. Now, of course, in the West, that's been downplayed. Uh, Not so much in the East. When we go back to museums, Go to the section on India, for example, and even with your mom and dad, if they say, what are those figures doing? You will have to say, well, mom, that elephant is having sex with about 22 people, and this man is boinking another 35, and there's animals and people like doing all shit together. (laughs) Not so much in the West. I 
need. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know what I'm looking for other than a sense of necessity, someone working in their own voice, doing what they can't not do. Jasper Johns once said, you do everything you can do until you do what is helpless. And what he means by that is first you imitate other artists. You imitate Chris O'Feely, Peter Doig, Grayson Perry, whoever, Tracy Eamon. I don't care. I'm going back in time for this. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you're done imitating them one day, When you're at the end of your rope, like I was once, you will find yourself doing what you're helpless to do, which is your own work. Louise Bourgeois said, if you tell your own story, you will be interesting. And that's all I'm asking. I'm just asking you to be radically vulnerable in the (laughs) sense that make yourself as open as any work of art that you've ever seen to criticism. What we must understand is that in every work we see, whether we like it or that we don't, somewhere in it is courage and love. The courage to get over the horrendous demons that speak to every artist and the love of the process, of all the rage, hysteria, uh, political activism in Francis Bacon, he still loved painting. He could not not paint. And this goes to Bosch, who painted hell, to Goya, uh, depicting Saturn devouring his children. Is that a beautiful image? No. But it redefines beauty so it becomes beautiful. So what I'm looking for is the way if you ever have gone fishing and you feel those little electric bolts on the end of your line Mm -hmm. teasing you, that's what I'm looking for. Of like some bad art or good art that's kind of just nibbling on my line and then I try to pull it in. So what what are the top three like moments in your critical career where you've been moved, where you've had that you've had that electric bite and you've reeled it in and it's it's like astonished you? Do you have like well, one to hand? What's one of yours? Go on. What's one of mine? Oh god. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, when I saw Elafra Eliasson's The Sun in the Tate Modern, I remember walking into the turbine room when I was a lot younger and being like, wow, I remember being 16 and going to the Saatchi show where it was all the YBAs and seeing Ron Muick's My Dead Dad and being completely obsessed with that, seeing Tracy's Bed, seeing Damien's Flock Divided, the sheep in Formaldehyde and just feeling like, wow, this is actually happening now. This is and it's my fun. world. Yes. Yeah, that's it. It's fun. It's accessible. I, that is brilliant. Those are the wow moments. You just nailed it, man. So what are yours, though? Hmm? What, what, what were your like, defining ones like that where you, you had that you were just like, that, that kind of changed your uh, cr- critical eye, art eye? Well, 
around the same moment in time in America, we were just loving all that shit you were telling us <laughs> uh, that you were freaking out about, that we yeah. saw that in the financial collapse and uh, culture wars, horrific, and AIDS that had just passed, right? Mm -hmm. That, wow, England has fucking waked up again. It's like the 60s, but real more activist, and women get to be in, and artists of color get to be in. Hey, man, in America, at the same moment in time, Mm -hmm. Um, I saw a young American artist still in school named Matthew Barney, mm -hmm. who was uh, naked and crawling up to the ceiling on a metal rod and covering himself in Vaseline and then doing all manner of stuff. And I remember looking at the video of this and going, this is one of the futures. I knew that even if it was a bad future, mm -hmm. like looking at some of Damien's early work or Jeff Koons's early work, mm -hmm. I knew even if this were a bad future, that it was, it was fine. It had a voice of my time and our time. And that's one of them. Another time is I'm going to cheat. The most powerful art experience I ever had was when my wife and I were led with a group of other overweight, like me, Americans with fanny packs on. We had to be Americans because each group was a different nationality into a small um, French cave to see Paleolithic cave painting. And after mm -hmm. about a half hour of walking with other whining, talking Americans like myself, she said, please everybody be quiet. And she showed a flashlight on an incredible depiction of mammals uh, drinking at a, 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 a water, uh, what are those oh, called? A, a pond or whatever they're home. called. Yeah. And the back of my head almost exploded. And I knew in one instant that these were not just stupid shamans who were like, uh, you know, special, that they had looked at mammals for 100,000 years, maybe a million years, mm -hmm. and they were rendering exactly what they saw in real space, mm -hmm. in conversation with the wall, with their material, that they had simply invented uh, the greatest operating system our species has ever arrived at to explore consciousness, record the world, depict what cannot be seen, and depict everything that can be and have other people see it. And that is called art. And I was like, whoa, okay. 
history is much, much longer than our idiot I view a uh, view of it of mm-hmm. being about eight thousand, ten thousand years old, that it's a million years old, that we had fire, that Neanderthal made hand stone axes and painted the edges, and that how they made these axes, they had to trade with for materials that was not indigenous to where they worked. It's the original art swap, yeah. Yes, <laughs> that they knew that every spring and every fall, as they were all migrating, they would cross paths with other groups, mm-hmm. and that your group had good ochre paint, but my group had much better flint to, to make things with. And uh-huh. so we traded, you know, that's a material culture. And so that was a big moment. And then Carol Walker, the uh, American artist who makes yeah. uh, black uh, and white silhouette, cut out paper sculpture, made the great fountain in mm. the Tate turbine last that's year. Yeah. She was a, 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 I was a teacher at the Rhode Island School of Design. I looked at one of her drawings and I told myself, this is terrifying. I must never speak to this artist, must never say or do anything to get in her way and just wait. And I waited about 10 years or whatever, and she became a great artist. Those are three that come to mind. (laughs) Do you ever Everybody worry should about... write a short book. Everyone listening, write a very short book, you stupid babies, you big scaredy cat, of three <laughs> times that you saw art that kind of yeah. made you jump the fucking track. Okay, is it that hard, you big babies? The thing is, that's actually something that I love about you, Jerry, is that I feel like you're encouraging people to wake up and realize that you don't have to have studied art. You don't have to have, like, you know, grown up in the right town or or any of that stuff to, to be an artist. Like, if you want to be an artist, you can be an artist. And everyone comes to art from a different, um, you know, journey or a different track or whatever. I, I feel like Beautiful. that's the kind of message that underpins the new book as well. It's true. What you say is true. It's only pretty recent that we've gotten it down to you had to go to one or five or ten art schools and be white and fairly wealthy. And actually, I have never met someone not creative. In 2022, I challenge all of you, when you're back in the museum, ask the person on your left this question. What do you think? And they will blow your mind. I don't care who's on your left. They will blow your mind. Mm-hmm. It's like the art world got too insular. And yeah. the sad thing to me was it was just finally shattering that the entire canon was that we had decided while it might be great we finally realize, well, it's telling much less than half the story, that 51% of the hand prints in the caves were female hand prints. We now know this. So 
51% of all art in museums from going forward, it's fine to have it be women. Women aren't going to ruin your art history. And artists of color, yep, them too. Everybody's in. And then when you're my age, you can sort out the crap and get rid of it. There's been a lot of crappy white male artists, and we'll sort them out too. <laughs> yeah, Good. Agreed. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So is there anything you've ever written? Because do you ever worry about what you're right? Or have you ever faced like the wrath of an artist at an opening party or anything? Yes. Oh, my God. Yes, I am aware that when I write something negative, that if it's about you, you probably aren't going to like it. Your <laughs> dealer won't talk to me anymore. Your friends won't talk to me, and I won't be invited to any of the parties in that circle. Luckily for many, many of us who live in larger art worlds, that they're big enough that even though I lose your clan of about 85 or so, there's another new clan down the block. I have been yelled at um, by famous dealers, famous artists. Um, and Can you tell us any personal stories, any actual stories? Well, I won't name any names because oh. it's not for me to, but I was at a party once and a, an artist walked up to me and went, you're destroying my market. And I got hysterical, and I was so afraid that I went, uh, I started repeating everything this artist said, and then they said to me, everyone knows you're a fake. And I went, well, everybody knows you're a fake. And the person <laughs> went, what? It was the way I fight with my wife when I'm afraid. Oh. Um, it's, I've had a, a, a famous gallerist pin me down and say, you must hate the world. You must hate the world. And I guess I would say to people, listen to me for one second. Give me one second and say, Uh being critical of art is a way of showing it respect. You would never ask a food critic to love every meal right? Or a film critic to love every movie or a wine uh, writer to think, well, every wine is good. A sports writer to go, this football game, that was the best match ever when you all knew it was not so good. Mm. And that's all I'm trying to do. 
This is my opinion. Art is subjective. You cannot prove that Vermeer is better than Norman Rockwell. You cannot do it. But, you know, so it was my, my taste. And one more thing I'd like to add. Whenever anyone criticizes me, and I hope all of you will follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Jerry Saul. <laughs> Which you're very prolific at as well. I feel like you have a constant stream of thoughts, especially on Twitter. I love it. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. I guess I look every day and I see, a, you know, about a thousand people tearing me a new asshole. <laughs> and on every one, I kind of think a couple of things. I think, gee, I did not make myself clear. Oh, you could be right. Mm. And finally, and this is very important for every artist to hear, because no one should ever define themselves by their rejection, ever. That's a big mistake. And too many people do it. Finally, I would say you could never say anything to me bad about my work that I haven't said a thousand times worse a thousand times a day. So I would say to people, you big babies, you know, get over yourselves. Just get (laughs) to work. If you're not working, don't talk to me. I am not Mm -hmm. interested in people that have ideas and can't get the money to work. I'm sorry, you're going to have to do it out of cardboard, small, rather than out of steel in the turbine hall. I'm sorry, you know, you weren't born rich or, or married well or won the lottery. I wish I was too. I'm short and old and bald and wear glasses. I didn't hit any lottery. Man, we're all desperate. Mm. No one so, gets out of here alive. <laughs> so thinking about another side of your life, you looked after the Whitney Biennial in 1995. So mm-hmm. as a kind of curator, I guess, is the term. I was the assistant to the one curator. So I was the co- not the co-curator. Uh, all I can say to you is I hated it. Did you? Why? I don't want artists to tell me what to do. <laughs> I just can't bear it. I'm a big baby, too, it turns out, because uh, I just didn't like working with artists. I like watching artists and listening to them, but I don't like them telling me what to do. So it was my one time in and one time out. Hated it. Wow. What is it like being the partner of another... You are are like the art critic power couple of the world. What is that like, sharing uh, a critical eye with your wife, who writes for the New York Times as its art critic? Right. I have written this, so this comes as no surprise to anybody Mm -hmm. that knows me. I I think Roberta is the greatest art critic alive. Mm -hmm. I also believe, and I'm very biased, that Roberta is among the greatest who ever lived and maybe the only female art critic to completely have a full life from her early 20s and and now she's my age uh, writing and never missing a deadline ever or you know a weekly deadline um 
this is being modeled for generations to come. And there will be generations to come. So uh, living with Roberta is astounding. Almost everything she says, I think, God, I'm an idiot. How come I miss that? Mm-hmm. We write together in the country where we rent a house. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really nice. It's really, Did she say really the same nice. about you that you say about her, Jerry? She did? No, does she? I'm asking. <laughs> no, <laughs> I've not actually no. seen it, No. <laughs> Now, no, no. Oh. Uh, here's how I had to get used to Roberta. Yeah. Um, when I first became a critic and showed her some of my first uh, weekly columns, so this was very, very much in public in the Village Voice. I mean, you, sorry, really, can I just clarify? You were together when she was already a critic, and you were wanting to become a critic. Yes. She right. was not the critic at the New York Times when I met her, but right. it, 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 she was very clear. I do not want to be with another art critic. Yeah. And I was still a limousine driver and trying to write like art forum. I was yeah. writing, but I was not uh, this. And she looked at some of my early weekly columns. These are big deals in the in, in the Village Voice. And she looked at me, put them down, and I thought, oh, God, she just loves me now. And she looked at me and said, if you don't get better, I am going to kill myself. <laughs> I love that. Oh, and how many times did she attempt suicide? Or... <laughs> Weekly now. (laughs) No, it was a nightmare. I went, oh, Jesus, man. (laughs) Wow. And uh, I was So there's no rivalry there then? There's no rivalry? Uh, It's like... No. No. No, No, because nobody writes like Roberta. Nobody sees like Roberta. I don't even call myself an art critic. I don't self-identify as an art critic or a writer. I self-identify as a kind of Sister Wendy folk critic Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. something like that. I never, and if somebody, I could never write a book called How to Be a Writer. I think that would be absurd. I would love to read my book Mm-hmm. Uh, written in this, my more accessible, dumb language by a writer. So I knew how the fuck to do what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. I hate this. Get me out of here. Do you, do you ever <laughs> do you ever review the same show? Yes. And do, we do you have like polarizing opinions ever? You must have. It, yes. Here's the problem. We don't uh-huh. like to do that now because we're both sort of known. And it, it throws a lot of light on one thing at one time. Okay? Because we mm-hmm. write while the show is up. As Roberta says, we perform live. We don't ever do recordings waiting months and months or years writing articles or books. We're on stage live, and so people don't like what you're doing, like the stories you asked to being yelled at, they will throw cabbage at you, you know, and and react. Um, So we try to avoid that. When we do it, it's really exciting. We always end up different and shocked at what the other has said, even if we share the same dislikes or likes about the show. So it, it works out. And one more thing I want to add about that, mm. frankly, 
I think for a younger artist especially, I believe it's very important to have for them to be reviewed by Roberta and meet what I think of as kind of the truth about their work, good or bad truth. And I will always step out of the way. If she says, well, I want to review that young artist too, 100%, I would say, you do it. You do it, babe. Do you guys live with art or collect art? Um, We have a private rule, which is no, because of the conflict of interest. Let's just say Roberta uh, writes on a painter she really positively, and you later find out we own all of her paintings. Oh, yeah. You see? So what we collect is I buy a lot of what we call thrift store art. Uh, My rules are no clowns and no dogs, and (laughs) only under $15. And we buy really, really, really crappy ceramics. I mean, really gnarly things that show me that somebody was like a cave artist trying to rise up. Do do you collect anything? I wish we did. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, can I tell you one more thing we collect? Yeah. Yeah. I love a lot of art, but we can't own it and we're not rich. And so I will pay anyone 155 American dollars to make me an absolute perfect replica of any work of famous art. I have a beautiful Damien Hirst dot painting. I don't think those dot paintings are any good, but I know they make me feel cheery every Mm -hmm. time I pass it. I have a beautiful uh, Ankawara date painting, yeah. a real good uh, uh, Gerhard Richter, like one of those schmear abstractions that I yeah, wish yeah, he would yeah. stop doing. Same. For fuck's thank sake. you. Thank you. Agree. <laughs> you know, yeah, he's yeah. great. I would say great. But if you want to make me a Robert Ryman or uh, uh, anybody, Make it for me, and if we both agree it's you have not made a single decision on your own and that you really have replicated <laughs> this. I'll you buy. forged, you basically you want, forged. You want yeah. meticulousness in the copy. Yes. I yeah. love that. Well, just, yeah, it's got to pass as a perfect bootleg, and then you yeah. sign your own name to it. I don't want to sell the damn thing. I don't care about <laughs> that. I just need That's the great. fake aura. That's that. great. What an, so I think another thing, that. Jerry, that I've always noticed you've been a kind of defender of is um, irony. Can you speak about why irony is so important to you? Well, it, it's real simple. Everybody decided at a certain point, I think in the 2000s, that irony was dead. First of all, that's a very ironic thing to say. <laughs> and I guess I think that we are all... Irony is a condition of life. That means that while I'm speaking to you, while that I'm with you, I'm also not with you and I'm thinking about other things. If I'm talking to a group of young women, I'm always thinking, gee, they're all much taller than I am. God, they must be looking at the hair coming out of my ears by now. Why are they even talking to me? I wonder if my breath is bad. Gee whiz, I better not even look at this one. So 
you know, that's what I mean by irony. Uh, um, yeah, or Oscar Wilde said, the minute you think you understand a work of art, it is dead to you. And mm-hmm. irony keeps you on your toes. It's just a little bit of a heartbeat. I don't mean a snarky irony of art about art about art. I would tell everybody listening to this podcast, please don't make art about art about art. You're fucking boring and get a life. Make art about your life or anybody else's life. Just don't make it about art. It's, it's mm-hmm. enough. We've just had from Duchamp on out, okay? 100 years, we let it lay fallow, okay? Mm-hmm. Deal. Who, and don't make a, any more, uh, uh, don't quote Richter anymore, okay? Yeah. I love Richter. Deal. Shut up. Deal. Okay. <laughs> Who to you right now then is the greatest living artist, can you say? I don't, I just don't think that way. I'm so sorry. I want to go out on a limb and say things, and I just don't know. For me, all art is contemporary art because I'm seeing it now. Yeah. So it's what I'm looking at right now is the, is the greatest contemporary art. Do you, Do ever you get have arts? a greatest contemporary artist? Uh, of, of, who's living now and still working? Yeah. Yeah. Um... Well, that's what you asked me. You said, who's yeah, the greatest yeah, artist alive now? I know, I know <laughs> I did. Um, <laughs> Maybe, well, I, mean, I don't know. Nobody likes him, so I'll say Jasper Johns because he's not dead. He's still alive. I know people don't think he's... Yeah. People are like, what? Yeah. I know, we, we want to get him on the podcast. We but desperately want to talk to him. We love him. He'll never do it. Talking. No, I know. <laughs> do, you ever get art, do you ever get art starstruck? Do you ever meet artists yes. and get a bit... Like who? Who makes uh, you wobbly? Jasper Johns. I... A very good friend of mine is very good friends of his. Mm-hmm. And so about four or five times a year, I am invited to dinner with Mr. Johns. Wow. And the whole time I'm thinking, Jesus, this is Jasper Johns. Johns wow. This is Jasper. And every word he says strikes me as brilliant. And mm-hmm. again, if you hate his work, it's fine with me. I, I I think really great artists have an extra wrinkle or something on their frontal lobe, which actually makes them different. I I, I a good friend of mine. I, I'll tell you how starstruck I am. A very good friend of mine uh, worked and spent about a year with Bob Dylan not long ago, mm. and I couldn't talk to my friend anymore. I just felt I am really not up to conversation with my friend. He spoke to Bob Dylan. Are you? I get starstruck all the time. Oh, me too. Uh, When it comes to artists, actors, I'm fine with producers, directors. But when it comes to artists, I get. I think which artists did you get? All of them. Which artists? All of them. A lot of it. Like if I love their work, I get I get a bit flappy. So yeah, I I do too. There's a load. I mean, there's lots lots of emerging artists now. Right, I've right, just right. gone for 30 years without speaking to Matthew Barney because I'm afraid that I'm like going to fall in love or something. Do you talk to Kara Walker now, though? Is she someone that you're able to? You no. stand, you could, you no. I think no, it's rough. I don't talk we... to. I, 
I don't talk to artists that much, believe it or not. I'm not, I, I never, ever speak to them before I'm going to review a show. I learned that from Roberta. I just write what they, they put out what they want to put out. And then I put out what I want to put out. I'm not interested in being right. That is a position that has no interest for me. Who's right? I mean, for hell's sake, I don't know who's right. Roberta. Not I guess you. it's also not, <laughs> I guess it's also not about man. <laughs> not about making friends either, is it? It's like it's not about no. Yeah. It, you know what it is? It's not about being loved. Yeah. First it is in the beginning, it's about credibility. And again, yeah. that's what Roberta taught me. That it 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 may not it, just because you write for a big, important place doesn't mean people will give you credibility. You must earn that on your own. As our world leaders are not simply bestowed credibility. That mm. is something you must That's, earn. So yeah, we yeah. now have situations where the king, the queen, the king says he is king, but no one believes the king is king anymore. Now, so this yeah. is very dicey stuff, and you all listening to it are going to live through that. That is going to be insane. Yeah. But the, the fallout from the current leader, yeah. Y- yes, in my country, certainly. It's, we, you know how you had an end of empire once? Mm-hmm. Wow, we are really going to go out big like that, but more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've always been fascinated as well, talking about kings and queens, because when the British queen does actually finally, you know, is no longer there, that I think that is going to be such a strange time. (laughs) Because like you say, you guys are such kings and queens. There's always going to be an England. I said that the night of Brexit, I said, the English are so smart that even though you're not, that they can talk their way out of this, if not in 10 years, in about 100 years, they'll still be fine. You're, you're going to be fine. The Not Germans that. stay up later than you after you've all left the pubs vomiting all over the street. Mm-hmm. It's horrendous. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Germans go home and go, the stupid English. <laughs> you know, and they, carry on they think they're the smartest. <laughs> but you have the accent that we love. Talking we about... Talking about vomiting on the street, uh, your last point in the book, number 63, was one of my favourites, which was um, once a year, go dancing. No, but it's just Mm. such a brilliant thing. I just loved it because to me that summed up life. It's like, um, why did you choose to end the book on that note? (laughs) Because, (laughs) like I said, one day you will be too old to dance (laughs) and the other is that dance was probably even older than art, that we know animals dance for each other. We know Neanderthal did. And that I want to dance naked in public. That's what making art is. It means that you're not just cooking your stupid food for your stupid self. You're cooking your stupid food for every stupid self. And... Right now that when we're alone, we might pine to have our food eaten by others, to be seen by others. When someone dies, they don't die. What happens is their memory of you 
dies. Part of you dies. And that's what's happening right now. I am a sociopathically shy person. I never want to go back into society. I already dread that this talk of opening things up in my country again. Like, mm -hmm. I'm perfectly happy. Forget the disease and death. I'm not making light of anything, but I'm perfectly happy just sitting here writing. But what are you, you writing about now? If everything's closed, what do, what, what do you write about now then? If shows are closed, can you review online like exhibitions? And how do you make your critical work now? I have been asked by New York Magazine, like all places, could you put stuff together of like art that's online in museums, efforts that are being made? And I begged mm -hmm. them. I said, I could do that. I look at that here at, at my computer but don't use me this way. I want to ch take this time and try to bring my work, it's gonna sound pretentious, but deeper. And that means addressing issues of art that I've always sensed that are there, just beneath the surface. Recently I wrote on um, a Peter Bruegel painting mm -hmm. from uh, 1565. Uh, it was called The Triumph of Death, and I tried to understand that brilliant painting. I've just mm -hmm. finished writing on a Botticelli. I'm writing on a, a contemporary artist I don't want to say. I'm trying to write essays. I'm wow. trying to model for myself the self that I know holds back. I, I'm honest, I won't lie. There's certain things in my work when I even read them, I go, right there, I didn't push hard enough. Mm. Like recently I wrote, it is one of the best yellow paintings in art history. I just wrote that. And when I read it, I thought, oh, it might be one of the best yellow paintings, but you did not say why and what it is about yellow paintings. Mm. Now, I'm not saying I'll ever figure it out, but this is the period because it's going to end and we get to go back to childish things of not pressing that hard on ourselves. This is the period I'm trying to push. And I'm old, so, you know, maybe I'm starting well, I, my last work. I don't know. I like this idea of you time traveling and being a critic. So going back and seeing these historical paintings and standing in front of them and reviewing them as a critic of the time. And also how current they still are, in a way. Mm. Aren't they? All great mm. art has been waiting for you for 500 years. Yeah, Every yeah. time you see Hamlet, it's like, yo, hey, how you doing? How come you missed this the last time? You yeah. know? <laughs> and every time you see Hamlet, it's different. That's what Oscar Wilde was talking about. You will never understand Hamlet or Velasquez or Goya or Carol Walker or Chris Ophelia, whoever you don't like. I don't care. You don't understand art the same way you don't understand Mozart. You yeah. experience it. Yeah. Yeah. Buy my book. It's easy read. How to be an artist. I swear to God, get me out of my hell, will you, all you people? I beg <laughs> And you. You, know, you know the dancing uh, comment. Um, it made me think of an artwork that I first saw that really struck me, which was um, Dancing in Peckham by Gillian Waring. 
don't oh. know if you know that work, the film, but I find yeah, that film is so perfect for now yeah. as well. Like, it's such a perfect. powerful, timeless it, work. Everybody should go dancing at Peckham in empty Peckham now. Exactly. Because it's going to be beautiful. Mm. I remember seeing Pippalati Wrist, yes. an early work of her singing an old Beatles song, yes. becoming hysterical. And I think everyone should do that. Crawl inside the skins of others and make it new. Make it yeah. new again. Just don't make a comment about a comment about a comment. We ask every guest, if you could do an imaginary art heist, you could have any work of art in the world ever made, anything, a building, uh, uh, an artwork, what would it be and why? Right. Uh, first answer, uh, one of the caves. I would want a perfect rendition of one of the caves. God. And I would love that. The second mm. is to be a little more real. Matthias Grunewald's 1514, I think, Eisenheim altarpiece, mm. which was painted uh, to heal the dying. And that in Western painting, that function of art was long, long lost. It's still very common to make trinkets to get pregnant or to curse somebody. That's done every day all over the world, but this was a painting that would do it. If I were on a desert island, I mm -hmm. might ask for Hiroshige's 101 views of Mount Fuji or um, Robert Rauschenberg's um, all 34 illustrations for Dante's Inferno. Wow. Now, wow. I like big encyclopedic pieces. That's how <laughs> destroyed my mind is from starting being such a late, late, late bloomer. Love I need that. gigantic systems to keep me going. Well, the other question we have for you is a gigantic question. What is your favorite color? <laughs> it it just became yellow because I'm obsessed with why that color I think I would by the way everybody might say blue I would mm. love somebody to write a book called The Miracle of Red but right now I'm stuck on Bruegel's yellow in his wheat fields and also Van Gogh's yellow and I'm not working the problem out. And what was the greatest paint, yellow painting ever then? What was that one well, referring to? I be, again, it sounds stupid. I was going to say it's Van Gogh is number one, and mm. Bruegel's The Harvesters in New York mm. is number two. I would love to see people's number three. Who but what was the one you were critiquing? Yellow. What was the one you were talking about when you said that you, you caught yourself? Uh, and the you were Bruegel. Like, it was oh, the, the Bruegel okay, right, that I right, just right, right. wrote. Right, right, right. Just during me saying I was going deep, and I thought I was like Mr. Deep, I read my own work in print, and I went, I'm still shallow. I hate this. <laughs> I just want to add, you were talking about the dancing videos a minute. I just remembered one, and I couldn't remember the name, but I just looked it up. It was the Adrian Piper. I remember Adrian moves to Berlin in oh. 2007. That one, yeah. and Gillian Wearing's one, are the ones that kind of play out in my head as really life-affirming dancing art, performance art movies. 
films. Yeah, beautiful, man. Really great list. Three idiots just wrote a nice beginning for a book on dancing art yep. without filled with bull, with without yep. being too filled with bullshit. Everybody can do this. Just get real. Get out of your way. There's a yellow painting that I saw at MoMA yes. um, by Ellsworth Kelly. And I loved that painting. It's almost like a kind of teardrop or something, but at a different angle. But it's this exquisite yellow painting. I love it. So that's a third. I, I, that's genius because I can see what you're saying only if I see his version of the yellow painting, if it's half yellow and half black. Yours mm. is all yellow. Yeah, mine's all yellow, mm-hmm. yeah. It's You're hardcore, yellow, man. It's called Yellow Peace from 1966. <laughs> you are hardcore. The one you're talking about is at SF MoMA, aren't you? Is it the triangle, the black triangle with the yellow and the black going It through? is? See? Is it? Is that You're both you? geniuses. <laughs> I don't know anything. I, I don't know any art history. Anybody that listens <laughs> no, to me. Although, I, can I give myself a stroke, please? Yes, yeah. One quick thing. I'm, mm. I think I was the only person that publicly nailed it on calling the fake Leonardo uh, Salvatore Mundi fake. And I really? got on every news channel and even curators secretly write me and go, of course it's a fake. Love that. Oh, my God. Well, one more <laughs> question for you. One more question. Yeah. Have you worked out since you've been in lockdown any secret quarantine talents, any secret lockdown talents you didn't know you had? Oh, yeah. I, as people that follow me know that Roberta and I have no lives. We are not part of society or the real world. We used to see 20 or 30 shows a week. And while everybody else would go to the after parties or have dinners with each other, we went home and wrote. And that's all that I do. I'm very, very, very lucky. I think about that all day. As a result, we do not know how to cook or to make coffee. I have made coffee with a machine, but I never got it right. So every night, every few nights, I would go to a local delicatessen and buy coffee, put it in the refrigerator. I saw this. Yes. I have figured out how to do it on a grand scale. And so I went to our gas station about 15 miles from here and bought, I think it was like 18 coffees and put them in my car. And then we put them in the fridge and uh, I make it two gigantic 7-Eleven, that's a fast food place in America, what we call a double gulp. It's like the kind of cups that our Sarah Palin used to drink or huge mm-hmm. cups about a foot tall. I mm-hmm. drink two of those of coffee a day, sometimes oh. three. Can you do, what's your secret talent now? Uh, well, Rob's is cooking and... Hey, yeah, I learned to cook, yeah. I hate to cook. Me too, but I'm I'm learning the joy yeah. of it actually. Because I'm by beautiful. myself. Cooking for yourself is actually kind of good because there's less pressure. I think people should be calling all those sheltering alone. I, I really do. I think mm. that you all have a little bit of a different thing you're going through. Not better, not worse, but it's different, man. Although to be honest, I'm quite enjoying the solitude. Like it's something yeah, I never do, and I think it's actually good for me. 
But you're it busy. is good for we you. We are busy. Aren't we're we doing yeah, and Russell and I are busy recording, but also we, we're starting to write our own little book with the same publisher as you. <gasps> what is your yeah. book? Unless you can't give it away because I'll steal well, it's, it. It's, it's, a, it's a talk art book. It's, it's a book on yeah. a, uh, developed out of the podcast. Yeah. Uh, Octopus I, is coming great. Out on, that's, yeah, that's Octopus sure. and Ilex. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I can't wait to read your book. I'll give you a blurb. Uh, oh, yes. My God, it. yes, See? please. Give us. Yes, yeah. we, we, it's going to be but spring actually, next year. That'd be amazing. I also feel like your book somehow gave me permission. I don't know if it has Russell, but it sort of makes me feel like I, I am good enough to write this book because it doesn't matter if I've never written before. It's yeah, like... but also we saw, Jer- <laughs> we saw Jerry on the roster, didn't we? And we both went, fuck yes, we want to be with these people. Exactly. You, you were down You're there. Yeah. Man. Honestly, that is yeah. so true. We actually helped, yeah. you helped us choose our publisher. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. I I love you guys. I love what you do. And it comes as no surprise to anybody that will muster energy. Get off your damn scared ass. Get to work, you big baby. And I want to make everyone listening to this a promise. If you work, you will have a life lived in art. Whatever kind of work you make, I promise you this, aside from the fame, aside from the money, you will have this beautiful, lucky life that I've been given. Amazing message. Awesome. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you so much, Jerry. Thanks for asking me. It's been the best hour ever. I've loved listening to you speak. You're incredible. So uh, anybody listening? They will come. Yes. Yeah. Well, you build it on your Instagram at Jerry Sorts and Twitter at Jerry Sorts. And anything we've been talking about, please check out Toolcart's Instagram page at Toolcart. And we are at Toolcart Podcast on Twitter. Uh, please follow, like, comment, and uh, we will see you next time. Thank you so we'll much, be Jerry. Back very soon. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you. Thank Bye. you. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamant and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at TalkArt, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in this episode. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts.